The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top 5 title changeovers in MMA. From upset performances to epic battles, we go deep. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. is up you savages this is the protect your neck podcast and i am your host dan tom and with me today is a good friend a special a very special guest because i've been meaning to have him on in fact when i was booking this episode i was like how have i not had him on sooner that's my friend matthew wells at mr wells art that's right at the sports snack and of course my favorite at the slip and letter, letter N, Dip Podcast on Twitter, one of my favorite listens. What's up, Matthew? Man, that's the best intro I've ever received ever in life. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I was thinking the same thing the other day. Vice versa for you, having you on Slip and Dip Podcast. We got to get that. We got to make that happen, too. Bring you on over to have you rap with me and Kendrick a little bit about the latest goings on. But yeah, man, I'm doing great. Other than the rain outside, I can't complain about a thing right now. I was going to say, forget about you, man. I want to meet Kendrick. I'm a fan of his just through the podcast. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I, <laughs> just kidding. All seriousness, I'm definitely down to come on anytime. And anybody listening to this, be sure you're listening to Slip and Dip if you're not already. It's, it's quality for sure. Absolutely, man. I'm glad to be a part of this this podcast as well, man. I listen to it all the time. Your 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 picks, your betting insights, everything. I take it to heart, man. You, you know where you know what you're talking about. You know your stuff. Uh, and of course, anybody listening to this podcast knows that. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that nonetheless, man. And uh, and again, you know, not only you guys got unique takes over there. I'm, I promise, we'll be done sucking each other's dicks here in a second, audience. Just, just <laughs> fucking relax. But not only not only do you guys got great takes there, but I actually really like your interviews. And the reason why I'm bringing it up, not to you know, uh, you know, not to quote Har- Harvey Keitel in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, you know, uh, but uh, but 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 honestly, you guys you guys really get a there's a certain vibe when when you bring a guest on between mm-hmm. you and again I'm I'm becoming a real big fan of of, of Kendrick, and uh, for for example I bring it up it's a little apropos but uh, Kevin Lee was one of my favorite episodes because and I know Kevin Lee and I've seen I, I've seen you know the 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 non on side of Kevin Lee but you guys really got a, a a great balance of both on your show and now we're seeing Kevin Lee doing big things uh, since then and. And man, yeah. uh, I was wondering if you could comment on, on, on that from having him on your show to seeing everything till now. Man, it actually worked out perfect to get Kevin on the Slip and Dip because, I mean, I've, I've interviewed Kevin, you know, countless times before that. And um, that was right after the OKC event where he headlined Beat Michael Chiesa. And of course, being in OKC, it was a very small media presence at that event, like literally maybe five people total. And when I say five people, it's like me, John Morgan, um, <laughs> Kendrick, who I made. I was like, I convinced Kendrick to drive up there with me. I was like, dude, it's just right up the road. Come on, do it. Like, there's going to be nobody there. It's going to look great in the UFC's eyes. And so we both drove up there, me, John Morgan, like two other local people, right? And after the fight, Kevin comes back there, walks straight up to me. What's up, Matt? I was like, what's up? <laughs> you know? And then we invited him on the podcast. He came on the next day. 
And then, of course, we went from there, and it was it was a solid episode, man. I agree. It's one of my favorite ones so far, too. That That's awesome, man. I mean, Kevin comes off, you know, really strong is an understatement, you know, anybody listening. But yeah. you can vouch for this, man. I mean, you really just, you know, sit down, talk to him, and don't worry about all that, and to just kind of have a conversation. He's he's great, you know. He, he, not just as a, a promoter or a personality, which, you know, you could argue the sport needs more of right now, but just mm-hmm. as, a per, as a person, too, more importantly. I don't think people really realize that. Yeah, no, he's a good dude, man. I, I, every time I see somebody say he's trying to be like Connor, like, it annoys me so much because that's how he is. That's that's that is Kevin Lee. You get Kevin Lee, you get the real deal every time. And it's just the the fact that he's coming a little bit after Connor did his thing. People want to say, oh, he's trying to copy him. And that's just not the case at all. It's just not. You know, I, I, you know, I, I probably bring this up right now because this is actually the fight that I'm on. I'm currently, you know, got the microscope. The books are open. Old Dan Tom is uh, working on the breakdown for UFC 216. And there's a yes. lot of matches I don't want to break down because, you know, it, it's tough. I'm a huge fan of Tony Ferguson, uh, of his game. I've been a big proponent of his game and, and really getting into talking about his game. Anybody who listens or, or re- reads my stuff knows I'll, I'll wax poetic on some Tony Ferguson. But, again, you know, there's a little bit of of, of bias, as you can tell, listening to me and Matthew speak here. A little bit of love we have for Kevin Lee as well. So these kind of matches always tear at me, you know. And on the card, I, I mentioned that because we have uh, uh, Derek Lewis fighting Verdum, and Derek Lewis is a guy who I like, uh, you know. And I, I I know you know Derek being a Texas guy, and 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 you know Derek's got a good relationship with Junkie Radio, even the aforementioned John Morgan you just mentioned. Uh, and then, you know, yeah, even yeah. L- lower on the card, Brad Tavares, another extreme couture guy, a fellow Hawaiian, you know, speaking to that bias, you know, he's got a matchup mm-hmm. against Talas Latest. So, so I'm, I'm excited for 216, but from, as you all can understand, from my point of view, that I'm, I am not excited to be fighting my biases and having to make <laughs> some picks on these cards, man. Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough card to pick, man. I mean, the the matchups are solid. It's a type of, it's a type of card that you want to see, man. You want to see matchups where it's hard to predict stuff. You're like, for me, every time where it's like you can pull up a fight night card and it's like this is, this is gonna be, you know, just one sided affair, one sided affair, and then you get Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson, you're like, oh, oh, this, it, you know, you could play so many different angles, and. You could go back and forth for you know a solid hour and still not have a solid answer on who's going to win the fight. At least in my opinion, you know I, know, I know some people have their opinions. Tony Ferguson's an absolute beast. Kevin Lee's a beast, you know. But it's interesting matchups like these that are my favorites that make me want to watch the sport, you know, every weekend. Hundred percent. And speaking of uh, close matchups or just fun cards to get excited about, I kind of peeked ahead of the schedule, which I, I, I rarely do, which which sounds weird, but. <laughs> I kind of have tunnel vision yeah. from week to week with the UFC schedule, but man, that UFC Sao Paulo card is popping. It's, I think it's like a hardcore's delight when you look at that thing from top to bottom. I mean, you have the, the John Lineker, Chito Vera. Uh, I think uh, you know, Shoe Face Marshman. Uh, you know, uh, Machida yes. Brunson. You know, there's, there's you know, you got guys like Pedro Munoz on there. Man, but but that I don't know. Yeah, what, man. what do you think of that card? No, it's solid. It's solid. It's one of those ones, like you said, It's it, the hardcore fans will love it because they know all these names that have been around for forever, and there's solid matchups that they're against, too. Um, I like how you brought up Carlos Jimmy there and Marshman. Yeah, did, did, you see, uh, did you see him, uh, his tweet or uh, um, that he did on Dean Thomas? Uh, wow. I'm, <laughs> Dean Thomas. Wow. Can't get the name out there. But uh, he, he was doing uh, some jiu-jitsu on him. Do you see that sweep that he hit on him? 
they posted it up on uh, Instagram the other day. No, I he called it that. the shoelace. I asked Dean, I was like, what is? It? I was like, what is that? And he was like, oh, they call it, he calls it the shoelace created by shoe face. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not mad at it. Kind of impractical in my opinion, but I was like, man, that is slick. It's slick. You know he's just giving John Anik. Check it out when you get a chance. Oh, definitely. But you know he's just giving John Anik and Kenny Florian more of an excuse to abuse the shoe face uh, line and commentary any chance they get now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what it's about. But yeah, man. Yeah, man. We actually had a, a Chito Vera in, um, in studio today. I guess he was out here getting some work in, uh, bouncing some work in between here and Oyama's, which, by the way, Colin Oyama, is he building a South American army with all, like, you know, Humberto Bendene and all these, like, Hardcore South American names that have been coming up, and you know these young cats that have been upsetting the odds here in the UFC debuts. But uh, Marlon Vera's facing John Lineker, man, and I'm I, I'm already you know I'm yes. already looking ahead two cards just for that matchup alone. Yeah, this is a sick matchup right there, man. That is a sick matchup. Marlon Vera's he's becoming one of my favorite, not only for you know everything going on outside of the octagon with him, but man, he brings it. He brings it every time he steps in there, man. I, I love watching that dude. You know, it's kind of like one of those guys where. You know, you you think about all that stuff that's going on as he's fighting, and then he goes out there and does something spectacular. It just makes it that much better. Yeah, especially because he's going in here against the odds, right? I mean, he's going into Pickett's hometown. Uh, he went into Brian Kelleher's hometown. Now he's going to Brazil. Like, I don't know if he's making that a thing of his, but he's doing well at it, so why not? Yeah, hey, riding, <laughs> into, riding into other King's villages, right? That's Hey, knock him off where you can. I don't, I'm not mad at it. 100%. Well... As y'all listeners know, this is this we're, we're, we'll be talking about. You know, speaking of that, we'll be talking about top five title changeovers. So essentially, anytime uh, a title has changed hands in the span of as long as MMA has been alive, really, that can be your answer. That really is the only qualifying thing to get something on this list. We'll get it on yours. But before we get to our top five, um, just a couple quick shout outs I wanted to give off the off the top. I, I recently did the Loaded Joe's MMA podcast with Blake Stevenson. So uh, make sure you give them a follow at Loaded Joe's MMA. They're also on Facebook. Shout out to you, Blake, and and a part of that podcast community, which the Loaded Joe podcast community. Shout out to you guys, y'all are awesome. But uh, my man Keith Robert, big big supporter of the show, and he does great work too. Go check it out, themmatakeover.com, uh, debate articles and whatnot. Regardless, I just wanted to give my man Keith Robert a shout over over there in the East Coast, the Beast Coast, as I like to say. And even though. <laughs> Even though Matt gave me some credit on the intro, I did forget one thing. He's also a contributor at Sports Illustrated Fansided at Fansided. So I miss I missed yeah. one of his credits there. So but I, I gotta come clean on that. But. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> easily it's all for, good. easily we'll let it slide. Easily forgiven. Before we get to our top five, was there any uh anything else pressing that that, that that's on the I mean, there's always something on the news, but any anything else pressing uh you you think of that that you want to start? Uh, just today I I found the I found the little interaction between Verdum and uh, Tony Ferguson today a little interesting. I did yeah. find that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Verdum's kind of got to watch his terminology that he uses. I'll just say that, that. I like the guy a lot. But if he keeps using these certain words, it's not going to go over well for him in the near future, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, yeah man. I don't know. It's kind of odd that that whole thing, watching that whole thing play out. It was kind of funny, though. Uh, Ferguson hit him with that line. You better shut up before I ankle pick you. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. That was the line of the. That was the line I can get behind right there. But yeah, yes. Verdum is um is 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 you know, to quote Patrick Weidman, a shit eating wild man. 
Uh, so, so I hear, but I have a soft spot yeah. for him too. He's a top 500 dog of mine, you know, for coming up against Kane. I'm a fan of his style and, and even his goofiness, but the goofiness has a line and, uh, it, you know, we've seen him cross it more lately. I think that's fair to say. And today was just not the best mm-hmm. representation of self. Even if Tony made, if it, you know, ended up being Tony's the one who instigated it, if it, it, it felt very childish in a bad way, you know, the, the, yeah, that was just exactly. my, my takeaway. So. Exactly. Yeah, man, hundred percent. I mean, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, 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 no. Please go. I really wasn't going to add much. So, I was just, I was just going to say. I mean, I don't know what actually kicked it all off. I couldn't understand what they were saying. You know, I don't, I don't speak Portuguese, um, unfortunately. But he started talking when Tony was talking, and Tony was like, "Hey, chill out. I'm talking." And then it just escalated from there. And of course, uh, Chris had to get up. I'm sure Chris was trying to eat his meal, and he had to get up and like, "Oh, dang it." Don't let this happen right now. <laughs> yeah, that was pa- that was like a passive uh, passive aggression display, like times ten. Like when when passive yeah. aggression goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, uh, prop, props to the security for getting in early and not letting it, you know, get because sometimes they'll let it get to a certain point. And you're like, oh, they facilitating it for the drum, but that was a that was kind of a real a random one that that that, that probably caught them off guard too, or put a bad taste in their mouth. So they probably wanted to extinguish that as fast as possible so good on good on him for getting between the big man and the and the crazy man (laughs) (laughs) well they're both big and they're both crazy so maybe that's not that's not the best but yeah no i'm glad you Mm -hmm. touched on that it made me made me more excited for 216 so so um i'll I'll be talking that more on on my podcast to come and i I know you guys will be touching that you and kendrick will be touching on that on the slip and dip podcast as well but uh Let's not hold them any longer. If we do, you know, depending on how well we flow, we might just do a breakless one. Sometimes we do that. If not, we'll probably drop it around, you know, between th- between number four and three. But, man, let's get this party started. I- I've been excited to tackle this topic of top five title changeovers for some time. So when-, when me and Matt were looking through the pool of suggestions, which I do keep, by the way. So anytime you use hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast or Protect Your Neck Pod, I know the hashtag gets a little long there. It's a little tough. That's why I accept both. Or just, you know what, make it easy. Our address on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the same, at the PYN Podcast. Anything you comment there, um, we try to keep it as interactive as possible on this show, especially when we do these top five shows, which I know we haven't done much lately. So feel free to fire away. I can see many of you have. After me and Matt give our top five, as per usual, we will go to your lists clean up what we missed in our honorable mentions and get the F out of Dodge. But we're here to party for right now. So Matt, uh, as a custom, I try to let the the guests go first. So would you mind kicking us off with, with your, with your, with your number five for top five title cha- changeovers in MMA? All right, man, here we go. Let's get into it. I had a, I had to kind of decide which way I wanted to go with the list. Right. Did I want to go with like best fights or like, the most meaning or the most shocking, you know, I kind of, my list kind of has a little bit of everything, I guess, not really all too much, but anywho, I, I will say this with my fourth one that we'll get to in a minute. I, I kind of interchange that with an honorable mention and you'll see why in a minute, but my number five title changeover, Holly Holm coming in UFC 193, knocking off Ronda Rousey, derailing the biggest hype train in the history of MMA possibly in spectacular fashion with a head kick. Amazing. Amazing. A plus 525, plus 700 underdog in some spots. Rousey was a gigantic favorite. 
And Holly Holm came in there and put those hands on her and made her look absolutely silly. And the, my favorite part about this whole thing was that, you know, I, I'm not sure if you remember, but back in the MMA latest days, when Holly Holm signed that contract coming to the UFC, I told everyone, this is the girl to beat Ronda Rousey. And when it finally happened, it was just like one of those things where I can notch up. I was like, I was right about something. <laughs> you know, nice. so that nice. is my number five for for actually exposing, you know, the, the holes in Ronda Rousey's game and taking that aura away and Holly Holm doing her thing. You know what? I'm really glad you had this on the list. I was hoping you would have it on there. And not because it's an obvious one, because even if you could say it's obvious, you know what? Even though it's not on my list, I will take that versus the all five on my list. And I will say Ronda Rousey versus Holly Holm 10 years from now will have more standing with the five, which I'll get to. That's that's how important mm-hmm. the Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey. And I think that one's going to stand the test of time. I think that one's going to age like wine, if you will. Because it was so important, so impactful in the moment, emotionally, but in the wide span of history, it being the first, um, you know, not just odds to cash like that. More, more, what I'm more talking about, the first women's UFC top level, dominant champion, all those check boxes it qualifies for. So I'm really glad this deserves a list anywhere from one to five. For Good sure. one. For Good sure. one. Well, my, my number five, and again, yeah, I went with. A lot of them, a lot of the ones that maybe could fall under, you know, shocking or upset, I, I stayed away from. Maybe, maybe because you know, I'm sure there'll be an upset list to come that I can, I can use some for. Maybe some were maybe, maybe more for trilogies, and it became hard to separate one from the other. Maybe that's just better leaving for a trilogy list. But for the most part, yeah. mine, mine happened in in a, in a certain era but in a bunch of different organizations. And the first one I got to give love to because it's the only one from the WEC. That's WEC 36, November 5th, 2008, Uriah Faber versus Mike Brown. I mean, you want to talk about narrative and dominance like we were talking about with Rousey, where she couldn't lose. It just wasn't in the script. Like you couldn't, you could write a hundred versions of the Ronda Rousey script and not one of her had her losing, right? Same with Uriah Faber in the heyday of the W. He was the California kid. He had no competitors south of 55. And since the UFC, even up to this point, was not doing below 155, well, WEC was the UFC. You know, it was treated like the UFC for those divisions. So Faber was so good that they they had to create imaginary opponents, which was Kid Yamamoto, which they talked about (laughs) for like four or five years. Like, but Faber and Yamamoto, and it never came close to happening. I mean, I think Faber said maybe it came close once, but they would just talk about it. But eventually that talk would shift where Faber's so good over here in the WEC that it doesn't even matter. He would beat Kid Yamamoto even if Yamamoto got his shit together. And made that fight. Like, there was just this narrative, like, at this time, if you rewind back, like, like, his only loss was to Tyson Griffin. And they're like, oh, it was a fluke because of the, you know, and I think he actually retold the story on, on a podcast recently, Faber did, where he hit his head on the turnbuckle because it wasn't padded and then got hit with a knockout shot. And people, you know, there was this aura of invincibility. And here comes Mike Brown, who just beat, you know, Jeff Curran, you know, the big frog. I, ironically, both those guys are notable coaches now, both Jeff Curran and Mike Brown. But he beats Jeff Curran, who, even though oh, he yeah. was a big name, wasn't like, you know, wasn't like, oh, okay, we're like, oh, he's probably the next guy. I remember, I remember the exact thing. They're like, oh, they're going to have a tough time building him up. If he's the next guy, they're going to feed to Faber. And he knocks Faber out in the first round. Faber goes to hit, you know, do the Anderson <laughs> Silva to, versus Tony Fricklin elbow. And Mike mm-hmm. Brown just slips off to the side, clocks him with a right. 
And next thing you know, he's waving the American Top Team flag over and down to <laughs> Faber. Do you, do, yes. you remember, do you remember this one yes. at all, Matt? I do. I remember it. And I'm actually surprised. Like, I'm actually kind of mad at myself that I didn't even consider this one <laughs> because I kind of <laughs> forgot how shocking that was now that you mention it. You know what I'm saying? I was doing a little bit of research on it. Um, and I was just kind of, you know, quickly scrolling through stuff. And this was unfortunately one that I overlooked, man. This one was huge at the time. Because like you said, man, Uriah Faber was, he was that dude. You know, that he was the, like, I, at the time, he was the only reason I watched WEC. Yeah. For me, you know. Um, and it was just like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's not supposed to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just one of those crazy moments in the sport that, you know, that doesn't always come to mind when you think of crazy moments in the sport. Because there's always something wild. But, yeah, that's definitely one of them, man. It really is. I knew you would throw a curveball at me that be like, man, how do I forget that? And you do it right off the bat, too. Yeah, that's probably my hipster pick for sure, for sure. And, yeah, you know, Mike Brown went on to to, to do it again. But, you know, how, here's how big it was, too. This reminds me. I was actually uh, managing a construction site, and, and my boss that oversaw me was this, this nicest guy in the world, Les. He looked like he's like Captain Ron, uh, that really random 90s fucking Kurt Russell movie reference there but you know uh, just had a, had a mullet and like was a roofer construction boots sunglasses just wily guy didn't, didn't know crap about MMA but uh, he came in and he goes what favor loss how did that happen I saw <laughs> and I'm just like you know MMA is not in any major publication the Fox deal none of this happened I'm like even this dude somehow didn't even see the fight but still heard about it you know, and he's not, he wasn't going on a, you know, uh, MMA Weekly or MMA Junkie or any of the sites around back then, Sure Dog. Like, he didn't know about any of those, and he knew, he was like, Faber lost? But yeah. Yeah. That, that, it was shocking, man. That was a it great was show. shocking. Well, all right, sir. That brings us to number number four. What, what, do you, what do you got for number four? I'm interested in this one. All right. So, number four, I kind of flip flopped back and forth between my first honorable mention and this one. And the reason I went with this one at my number four slot was again because of the huge upset. Not necessarily that it was an upset per se, but it was just a complete dismantling of the champion coming in. And of course, what I'm talking about, I think you may know that smile I'm seeing there. <laughs> TJ Dillashaw, Hinnom Burrell, UFC 173, May 24, 2014. TJ Dillashaw came out there like Neo in the Matrix and had everybody like, whoa, what is going on? Yes. <laughs> and Hinnon Burrell, again, like I looked up the historic betting lines, man. He was a minus 910 favorite. Dillashaw was plus 710. And I just remember being shocked. I was like, oh my God, TJ Dillashaw, you are amazing. And it kind of set off this whole like trend of you know him Dwayne Bang Lugwood the whole neo whatever we want to call it footwork style the in and out quick movements it just created a shift where everyone was like what is TJ doing I need to learn this I need to learn how to do this because this is this is the next level right now and he came in and shocked everyone and it was beautiful and, and to add to it not only just that performance but when everybody was like nah that was a fluke they ran it back, and he did the exact same thing again. Yes. <laughs> and it was amazing. But faster. So, yes, even faster. And it was just <laughs> TJ, man. TJ came out there, shocked the world. I mean, 
obviously the Holly Holm one was bigger in terms of shock factor because more casual fans were surrounding that, you know, having the Ronda aura. But for me, in terms of a guy who, you know, everybody thought him Burrell was like that dude, you know, because he was running through guys, had the long winning streak. TJ Dillashaw comes in and shuts all of his stuff down <laughs> in an amazing fashion. So that's why that one makes my list at number four above the Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey. Nice, nice. I, I'm really glad you had this on because if, if we're talking about, like, uh, ones that made the cutoff that were at the top of that list, that one is right there. Because not only does it deserve to be, you know, for top five title changeovers, but like you you touched on, this was, this was an evolution in the sport you can point to, a real mark. Yes. And... You know, from a technical level, so that's that, that's its own category. The the, the the words escape me for that, which is not important. But it, <laughs> it, but my, but also, you know, some of these which which later you'll see make my list because of personal reasons. Sometimes you'll have something that might not be on you, on most people's list, but they qualify because you have a crazy story to go with it. And this isn't really a crazy story, but a notable one where I, I watch it all the time with my buddy Brian, who you hear on the after party edition. But I remember yeah. um, we were watching it with an actual MMA judge. Nobody big. Um, I think he only did maybe – if he's still doing it, he probably moved on to pro shows. But he was mainly doing amateur shows at the time. He may or may not have put a friendly wager on this fight. And, you know, there's taking the dog just to take the dog because, like you said, you were getting plus 700 odds. And, you know, Dan yeah. Tom's always been an analytical dude in a, in a martial arts. But I wasn't breaking down fights by any means, much less gambling by any means to or putting as much thought into it as I am now. Um, and uh, – Mm-hmm. The guy comes over, the, uh, the, who's, who's the judge, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I put, a, I put, a, I actually put a, uh, uh, I may or may not have put a hundred dollars on TJ," and um, and 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 my first instinct <laughs> was what, you know, was like what, but I, I literally justified it out loud. I, and I started breaking the fight down just kind of off the top, thinking out loud in my head. And I go, well, wait a minute. He mainly fights Southpaw. And, you know, as a Southpaw, something I preach on here all the time. You know, there are certain inherent advantages. He's his, you know, and I remember being really impressed. I, I, first of all, I thought he won the fight with Hassan Sal, the first one. And then being really impressed with the fight he had before that, which was uh, against, what was his name? The Hulk. Really good, really good, uh, good guy from the East Coast. He looks like, um, he's the black dude. He looks like John Howard, but he was like a bantamweight. Um, oh man, it's, it's escaping um, me. But it, it'll come back. But um, uh, I'm drawing a blank too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but it, it's all good. But yeah, you know, he was he was utilizing that in and out. It wasn't nowhere near the level what we saw, what we would see in that matchup. But even from mm-hmm. my eye, which I wasn't looking at it, you know, as closely, but from my eye, I could tell him like, ooh, I like the in and out, the you know, the shifts. He wasn't quite you know fully endowed in it yet, but being familiar with with Dwayne Bang's style, or not not his style, but what he was, what, what he what, what he what he teaches and preaches, because he has some roots over at Extreme Couture, which is now a Bang Muay Thai affiliate, official Bang Muay Thai affiliate. But um, but you know, I could spot little things, and I could see that he was getting better. Fight to fight improvements were real. But and so I started thinking, I'm like, you know, wow. Well, if he, if if that that trend continues. We could even see a whole new TJ. I mean, he's very athletic. He's got the wrestling pedigree, the cement, and you start putting it together. And I go, wait a minute, plus seven hundred. How do I put money on him? And literally, we we, we just watch it all unfold. All all those advantages play out. The, the you know the, the movement, the style, and just just flipping the script, saying, yeah, you're great at checkers, but we're gonna play some chess, motherfucker. And it you know I, maybe <laughs> yeah. Dwayne Bang Ludwig slipping in them with the motherfucker. But uh, but you know and, and, and that was and that was the game. You, you hear Rogan losing his shit, which which you know always is 
always is great. You know, just hearing Rogan, you know, lose his shit. I had to do the uh, Okami uh, tape study for last week, and I always love watching Tim Bosch for Okami because Japan's crowd is so mm-hmm. silent, and Rogan, you you know, you, you can accuse Rogan of maybe mailing it in now, and you can really accuse him of mailing yeah. it in when you go back and watch stuff like Yushin Okami versus Tim Bosch and hearing him lose his fucking mind. <laughs> Anyways, but but Rogan was was losing his mind for TJ, and it was a. Uh, it was it was a great fight. It was it was a great fight, man. Great great great, great pick. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike Easton. Mike Easton. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I looked it up. I pulled it up. Beast. So yeah, Easton. that's who you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, man. It's, it's, you know, it's amazing fight, man. Amazing fight. It's it's always one of my favorite ones to think back on, just in terms of shock factor of how it just completely dominated the the standing champion got worked in a fight. I'm glad you say shock factor because this one could fit a similar shock factor. And I I certainly was shocked. Uh, uh, I guess I'm not saying I wasn't shocked, but I, maybe shocked isn't the right word for me because I was rooting for this guy. I was rooting for this guy because he was just a 4-0 pro, didn't fight for any organization notable enough for even remember me to say on this podcast. And he wanted to fight before the year was out, but there was like six months left in the year. But Bellator was offering him a tournament spot. and But the tournament spot wasn't until February. And this was about August. And uh, this was at Extreme Couture. And this was a young Mike Chandler who I, who I was talking with. And sure enough, even though it, was, mm-hmm. it went against everything he wanted, he exercised patience. He got himself into the Bellator lightweight tournament back under the Bjorn Rebney era where you had to... The only way to get to the title was through the tournament. And he... Cuts his way through the tournament, even as an underdog. Even you know, he he he's first guy he fights is a young Marcin Held, who almost who actually hurt him. Not many people know uh, he actually hurt him with his leg lock attempt, and and because Chandler, most people would have tapped, and Chandler didn't. He allowed him to pop some stuff. Um, I don't want to divulge that, even even if it is mm-hmm. years ago. Um, but uh, but yeah, and and Chandler fought through it, uh, wins his next fight, and in the final round he has to fight Patricky Pitbull. And people were like, "No way, no way." Even if uh, even if he tries to take him down, I don't think he's gonna be able to do it. And working working with Gil Martinez, shout out to Gil Martinez, who was sharpening his boxing, you know, teaching him how to roll under his twos, just keeping it real bread and butter, you know, real basics, ones, twos, threes, and the proper movement and footwork to go with it. I I had the the, the pleasure to work with Gil, so seeing. Mike Chandler just implement it, but not just implement the lessons we were learning every day at Extreme Couture, but implementing it at the high-level pressure cooker in a tournament form. And he goes out and he outstrikes Patricky Pitbull. That was it was crazy. And then he gets his, I'm sorry, the long build-up to the number four, but then he fights Eddie Alvarez, and that's right. <laughs> he gets to the champion, title changeover, right? And boy, yes. it is one of the fights of the year. If it doesn't happen the same night as Dan Henderson Shogun won, that is unquestionably the fight of the year. Mm-hmm. And it was for not hating on Dan Henderson Shogun. I enjoyed it as much as y'all, but my bias that I, I had just set up made Chandler versus Alvarez the fight of the year for me. That was November 19, 2011, Bellator 58. And uh, he goes out there in a back-and-forth contest. This is what you want to see in a fight of the night. It had its momentum swings, right? Like Chandler looked like he was gassed out from not being able to get the finish, you know, uh, in the third round. And, and, and Eddie Alvarez is just putting numbers on him, just batters both of his eyes almost shut come the fourth round. Chandler looks like he's gassed. He's beat to crap. He's almost knocked out and submitted. And he comes out and just rocks Eddie, takes him down, mounts him, punches him. Eddie turns and he chokes him out with a with a neck crank, a power choke, driving his hips into Eddie's lower back. 
and uh, gets the tap in the fourth round and, and becomes the champion. Becomes and still to this day, I, I can't name what other homegrown talent poster child thing. I don't know know any other fighter that Bellator can hang their hat higher on than Michael Chandler because of his credentials. So that's yeah, point. I agree, man. I actually had this one. I had this one on my honorable mentions, man. Nice. It was it was such an amazing fight. Such an amazing fight. Michael Chandler is still every bit that dude to me. Um, and not only just for that fight against Eddie, but you know the the rematch at 106, or not not the rematch. Sorry, the you know um, when they fought again, I forget what's actually. I don't know the number. It, was. it, it wasn't yeah. 106. I believe it was at 106. I believe it was 106. Um, when they fought again, it was just, you know, two incredible fights. Michael Chandler, again, he was like the Bellator guy, you know, and Eddie Alvarez was that was that at, at one point. And, you know, still a lot of people always refer to Eddie Alvarez and as being, you know, a Bellator guy. But Michael Chandler, man, the way he came in and did that, of course, you know, you having all that experience with him makes it a little bit more special for you, which is very cool. And it, it was just such an amazing fight, man. It, like you said, the, the whole Hendo and uh, Hendo Shogun fight, I agree with you, man. Like, those, those are two fights that, you know, when you think about, like, those guys left everything in the cage, it's like it's like those are the types of fights that you point to. Yeah, they're amazing. Hundred percent. Yeah. No. No. One hundred percent. Well. Well, Matt. On that beat, let's let's take a quick break and we'll come back. We're gonna knock out the top three title changeovers in MMA history, and we're gonna get to yours too, right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. And we're back right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the top five title changeovers in MMA with my friend at Mr. Wells Art on Twitter, Matthew Wells. We are on number three, Matt. Um, are you still good with going first, my man? Or I mean, let's let's switch it up for a change. Right. Let's, let's let's give the host first dibs. Let's go. Right. We'll, we'll let's switch it up. That, that that's fine because I, <laughs> I I did I did give you a little uh, uh, a tease to my pick, if you will, uh, off off mic there. But um, but yeah, man. So I had a uh, I guess I had WEC on my number five. I had Bellator on my number four. So if you notice my pool hopping pattern, I hopped over to the pride pool because you know I got to show pride some love here. And this was just this. This is another one that could fit on lists. Like originally, like one of my first top five lists was just top five favorite fights of all time, which is super broad. But as broad as that is, and as many fights as that for me to uh, as that is for me to process, this one makes it on there. But it also qualifies for this list, and that is. When Dan Henderson challenged for the second time after failing, he challenged Vanderlei Silva at Pride 33. And that was 
February 24th, 2007. Listener of the show, Joe Suzuki over in Costa Rica, shouts Joe, was actually there live. This was the Pride Vegas show you hear about. Nicolas Cage, Chuck Norris, many celebrities were in attendance. Frank Trigg was calling the fight after he <laughs> fought that same card. He only took, I think... Yes, he, I remember that. Yeah, oh I think he only missed like two or three <laughs> to- uh, cards total. And by the way, you want to talk about top five qualifications. Pride 33? That qualifies for Dan Tom's top five fight cards of all time. Um, he had Shogun versus Remia, Fedor, uh, I think Coleman. Um, but you had, a, you, had, you had a bunch on there. But the, the great part was is there was only nine fights total. So I believe we had a UFC card that got relegated down to ten or something recently, which was like a record low or something like that. Um, I think it was UFC Pittsburgh, was it? Yeah, it had ten fights or something. And then maybe we had that actually two, 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 two in a row. But... That was the standard back in the day, UFC and Pride. Like you would only have like eight or nine fights, or maybe you know, or, or, or so. Like uh, instead of these, you know, sometimes we get up to thirteen now or something. You know, if there's no no crazy uh, USADA mm-hmm. or weigh-in issues. But but yeah, man, this was this was and yeah. <laughs> this this was Vanderlei Silva. He was on a six-year undefeated reign as champ. Six-year reign. I mean, this was when I was getting into MMA. 2007's a year where I can start claiming. Uh, you know, uh, uh, being a hardcore in the sense of maybe not a hardcore, that would be too generous then. Uh, you know, you might have called me a tough noob back then if we're using the terminology, the, the parlance of that time. But, you know, I, I at least knew what was going on and, uh, you know, who was who, this, the, the stakes, you know, uh, more than just the Shamrock Ortiz fight, in other words. So, yeah, it wasn't until 2007. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Pride was coming to an end. But, yeah, from having friends at the show to just, you know, being a fan, you know, my, my friends would, would explain to me getting into the sport, like, dude, this guy Vanderlei Silva, man, he just destroys everybody, showing me highlight reels, the, the, the sandstorm entrance. And, and one of the great parts about this fight is I actually <laughs> enjoy the promo package they play before the fighters walk out before uh, yes. uh, then the actual fight. And it's hard to find now. And, and Matt knows what I'm talking about here. I'm going to throw it to him here in a second to get his thoughts on it. But the promo package, essentially, it's... It's by the way, you want to talk about organizations taking liberties like this. The fight it's supposed to promo is Dan Henderson versus Vanderlei Silva. The whole first two minutes is like Chuck Liddell getting owned by Rampage, and then Vanderlei Silva owning Rampage and saying like with with like words going across, <laughs> Pride is the new UFC. I own Pride overrules UFC, and you're like, wait a minute, aren't you guys supposed to be building up the matchup that's about to happen instead of like promoting propaganda? Right. <laughs> And it's great, and like about three minutes through this propaganda, and it's a great, it's a great highlight reel. But it's it's a pure propaganda, so you wonder where freaking you know Vanderlei gets his his chill zone and promo ideas from in retrospect. But anyways, neither here nor there because three minutes in, it's interrupted by Lemmy Hart quoting the Goonies, going, "Hey you guys," and you just see Dan Henderson on a farm pulling an arrow back, driving a tractor, riding a horse, They're like the ideal American, and it's like a Japanese guy going, "The ideal American," and it's. Just like it's so great, and at the end, it ironically does have Dan <laughs> Henderson shooting an arrow at a picture of Vanderlei Silva hitting his mark, which was a foreshadowing of what to come. Because late into, I believe, the first round, which was ten minutes, Dan Henderson. What's great about it, not only does he knock out Vanderlei Silva, who you know I believe his only knockout losses otherwise were was when he did open weight heavyweight tournaments and took two head kicks by Mirko Krokop. Yeah, then he got knocked out. But the ironic part was Dan Henderson softened his chin with a spinning back fist, hitting him with his left, and then finished with a left hook. Now, we all know the H-bomb, from there on, you know, the next 10 years of his career, that he'd be known for his right hand, but one of his most notable victories with the left hand. 
That that's yeah. my that that's my number that's three true. though, Matt. I love it, man. I love it. I love the the whole thing with pride for me is just not only the the ridiculous matchups that you got when you look at just looking at the history of pride and the list of some of these matchups. You know, of course, you didn't have an event every weekend. So, of course, it was like, oh, my God, they fought. Oh, my God, like these cards are super stacked, you know, and it, and you you package the, the Lenny Hart, you package the video, the video things and all of the other creative stuff that they did. And it was a spectacle every time. And, of course, it was the complete opposite of what we have now in terms of USADA as well. So it was like just a whole different world of fighting then. And this is definitely one of those fights. I mean, I'm, again, another one that slipped my mind as well. Amazing. And, and the fact that you brought up Pride 33, as you, as you, I pulled it up as you're bringing it, just to look at the rest of the card. I mean, like, look at these. You have Shogun and Overeem on there as well. And uh, Nick Diaz won by Gogo Plata. And, of course, that was turned over for marijuana oh, later. How did I not thanks, mention that fight? Thanks, yeah. Nevada. <laughs> yeah, thanks Nevada's State Athletic Commission <laughs> doing their thing again. Yep. So, you know, all, all you motherfuckers are on steroids, but I can't smoke some weed. You know, Nick Diaz. <laughs> <laughs> that is so great. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot uh, how I had I forget that was the same card, but yeah, that that was on the card. But by the way, uh, it, it, I I dare say in the NAC, NSAC at that time's defense. Um, you know, usually we hear about metabolites or some bullshit. Apparently, the levels that he tested for, like, equated to him taking, like, five bong rips right before the match. Because, <laughs> by the way, that was the only time where they actually tested him, except in Japan, they threw away the samples. That was the, that was the difference. So, unfortunately for Nick, it was yeah. he fights on the pride card that's in fucking Vegas, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure if they tested guys back then, it would have blew up the USADA lab. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of good. But yeah, man. Again, like like you said, man, that's that's an amazing amazing choice for number three, Dan Henderson back then. Man, again, like that. Vanderlei Silva had that. He had that aura, you know, the hands, the little hand gesture thing. You know, he had that aura, man. Like every time you saw him in there, you'd get that scowl going. He was like, he's about to go in there and just start swinging at somebody, and somebody's going down. Hundred percent. It's amazing. All right, Love sir, it. you're number Love three. What do you got? All right. So, you know, you kind of went like with a little little personal, you know, touch to, you know, your number four, Mike Chandler, you know, having some experiences with him. This is where I kind of go a little bit biased because I was there for this one and I was witnessing the entire reaction and just the you literally turned around and it was you saw two things. After this this happened, you saw nothing but mouths open, jaws dropped, or you saw people absolutely losing their shit at what they just saw. And what I'm talking about is none other than Conor McGregor destroying Jose Aldo in 13 seconds at UFC 194, sparking the invincibility of a Conor McGregor. <laughs> 13 seconds after a year long build up after all of the world tour after everything 13 seconds later it was over and people didn't know like you could not process what just happened because they literally just like it was like let's get it on and it was over and your mind just went like 
A year in 13 seconds was all we got. But Conor McGregor gets on top of the cage, starts doing Megan and Rain, you know, and then fast forward to this year, we have Conor McGregor fighting Floyd Mayweather. I mean, it's just, it set off everything. It set off everything. And I was there, I was in the crowd, and just, it was amazing atmosphere, man. And of course, that sparked all the, you know, the people in the casinos going crazy, hopping off of slot machines. Uh, hopping off the the lion at the MGM, getting arrested. It was just the Irish went nuts, man. And it really started that whole, officially started the, I guess the, the next level for Conor McGregor, where he became this ultra star at that point. Yeah, man, this is, I'm glad you have this on the list because like the Rousey home, this is one that I think is going to stand the test of time. I think you're going to be able to go back and point to the, to, to it in the history span, but also more so than that, because I mean we've seen we've seen fucked up things in MMA. We've seen uh, we've seen you know long title reigns come to an end, and I think the closest one to that point up till that point was probably Anderson Silva versus Weidman. And even as as much as a sour taste, especially at the time before the other fights happened, as Anderson Silva fans or just fans of MMA was the the irony, the upsetness was that Anderson was clowning. You know, when he got hit, right? That was the argument. That was the point of contention. But at least Anderson at yes. that point, had a, he had a round and a half to at least make an account for himself. And he chose to, clu- to, yeah. to clown around. Yes. Aldo wasn't clowning around. Aldo didn't choose to clown around. I mean, Aldo may have chose to be a little more aggressive in that moment. But how much can you yeah. really hate on a guy, hate on Aldo's efforts, game plans, or any of that in only 13 seconds? And Aldo, on the flip side, had, you know, it's arguable. I, I put Anderson ahead of him, obviously, but not by much. Aldo had a very underrated record that was built over a long period of time of going unbeaten. And yeah. in 13 seconds, it's gone. And it shows you just the unforgivableness in MMA. Like, that all doesn't matter. Like, some crazy Irish guy can say he imagines shit, and the universe may just reward him for that, as opposed to all the work, all the record, all the prestige, all the whatever you want to say about Aldo, out the window. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing, because he, he was every bit that guy, man. Everyone, you know, when you talk to people that were actually trying to break down the fight and not be like, you know, the Irish, oh, Conor McGregor is going to win everything. Everybody was like, no, Jose Aldo should absolutely smoke Conor McGregor. You know, look at what Jose Aldo has done throughout his career. He absolutely dismantles people. And then <laughs> it's all gone. It's all gone. And not only is it a point in Aldo's career that that's significant because you look at what's happened since then, right? I mean, that was a clear that's a clear marker uh, on that scale from that perspective. But now let's even go from yes. even even another perspective. Let's look at the UFC as a whole. Lorenzo Fertitta, that was probably one of the last ones we heard of them cheers, cheersing whiskey, right? Because then you hit 2016 and we have this crazy Conor McGregor who's who's even even though he's making them money and he's a he's a he's a, he's you know especially in retrospect. Uh, a, a, a crucial part of their upcoming deal to sell with WMEING. You can even tell Dana to Lorenzo they're not quite uh, being as receptive to him. They're not, you know, they're not doing the same same uh, cheers and whiskey things after the fights. Even Lorenzo, before he left, he had that one comment where he goes, "Wow, I never had a guy be so ungrateful before." You know, for the U- during the UFC 200 negotiations. I mean, things from yeah. Connor, the UFC money fight, all these things all kind of intersect. And that night was almost like that part of the movie that that that, that, that where everything starts to change, right? One ninety four. Yeah, that's where exactly. everything starts to change. 
man. Exactly. And it, it was such an abrupt thing, too. It was like literally like the light switch came on and Conor McGregor was really born. Yeah. And all of that stuff behind the scenes started changing slowly but surely. He started getting whatever he wanted, <laughs> you know. And, I mean, he earned it. Let's be real. Like, you, you could go back before that fight. Conor did everything that they they asked him to do. You know, mm-hmm. he was supposed to fight UFC 189 against, you know, and then, you know, injury pops up. Oh, enters Chad Mendez, the guy who everyone says, oh, Connor can't wrestle. Whatever. I'll take it on a couple weeks notice. Go in there, gets wrestled, gets out of it, finishes the fight. Connor McGregor, you know, again, you fast forward after this fight with Aldo. Oh, Nate Diaz. You know, oh, Nate Diaz can't make 155. We'll do it at 170, whatever. So, you know, it's just like sparked this whole thing. Connor's never really, I mean, I'm sure he's been a pain in the ass behind the scenes and in, in closed door conversations with Dana and Lorenzo and, and the like. But on the surface, man, he's never really said no to anything that they've asked him to do. So got to give him credit for that. And he's definitely earned, I think, his place in where he's at in the sport right now. I'm glad you brought that one up because uh, all that last stuff I said was off the top of my head. I really didn't realize kind of start putting those pieces together. So, again, it's always good. Even whether we're going back one year, two, three, or ten, this is really cool. You know, we get to revisit. I think it's important. We're, we're inundated with so much shit now. Even when we're, we're in our quote-unquote slow weeks and it's a quote-unquote bad year, we're still oversaturated with so much fights, news, yes. drama, and whatever else life brings that uh, – it's good that we get to take time to, to, to kind of look back here, and hopefully, if, if, if you know any of these aren't familiar to, to you guys, hopefully, you know the listeners, it's, it's encouraging you to, to fire up your fight pass and go back and go check some of these out, or your Google Pass, yes. or whatever you use. But you know, go down, go down the fight, fight pass, and chill. Just turn it on, leave it on. Hundred <laughs> percent. Go down the rabbit hole. Well, here's one you can definitely find on UFC Fight Pass because surprisingly, this is my first UFC pick, which is weird. Um, you know, obviously oh, this is a very UFC-centric podcast just by nature of the UFC, and this is kind of the scene. But the great thing about, again, not to harp on it, or, you know, but uh, the great thing about these top five episodes and going back in the proverbial time machine is is, is that we can, we, can, we can, you know, shed light on things that maybe don't get light shed on it. But this is this happened in the UFC. When I talk about, I just talked about 2007, Matt, right, with Pride 33, how that was kind of the first year that Dan Tom was all in on, on this MMA game. I heard about it so many times before. My karate instructors would try to keep me away from jiu-jitsu, saying everything you need to know is in Kempo Karate and all that stuff. But by 2007, the cat was out of the bag for Dan Tom. I, I, I was a little late to the game, depending on who, you're, who, you're, who, who you keep company with. But, man, I was just happy to be a part of it. And... Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned Pride 33, which happened on February 24th. I think February only goes to the 28th, I want to say. So not but seven days later, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, March 3rd, 2007, UFC 68, Randy Couture comes out of retirement for the second time. But this time he comes out of retirement and returns to heavyweight. And mm-hmm. this might sound crazy to people, but... He challenges a dominant UFC heavyweight champion at the time called Tim Sylvia. Let me repeat that. This is how far we're yeah. going back. A dominant <laughs> UFC champion named Tim Sylvia. <laughs> okay, and I'm not trying to take any of the luster out of this this pick because it, it certainly deserves the number two. Um, but I remember being at my buddy Steve's house, who was my bass player, who got me into to um, MMA 
even MMA junkie, ironically enough. But uh, you know, he, he, we we all watched, and and I'm a big fan of the underdog. I'm a big fan of the older guy that that's too old to do it. And I didn't know a lot about Randy Couture, but the natural I could understand because I'm Dan Tom's a film. Obviously, y'all y'all know if you listen to this podcast, Dan Tom's a film f- film nut, film snob, whatever you want to call me, but. I was familiar and a fan of Robert Redford's The Natural, and it was it was very apropos, very fitting to Randy Couture's career, especially at this point where he really sealed the deal. Because you know, after a failed trilogy with Chuck, at this point he he retired. He kind of retired in the middle of that trilogy with Chuck at light heavyweight. He beat Chuck, and then in the rematch and trilogy fight, lost to Chuck. Um, but Randy Couture decides to come back for, in what it's a heavyweight division that needs help because Tim Sylvie is the dominant champ. As I said again. And he comes out in Ohio, UFC 68, comes out from the opening bell, inside leg kick, overhand right, drops Tim Sylvia, and just proceeds to dominate this six foot seven giant and just own him, taking his back, like practicing jiu-jitsu moves at a certain point on Tim Sylvia and dominating him. This is important because Randy Couture, as much as, you know, obviously I'm a fan of his, I know Randy, training extreme Couture for, you know, I probably signed up about three months after this fight, so about ten years, a decade now. I, I get, I get it. But honestly, you know, um, let, let's be real here. There was a lot of controversy in a lot of Randy Couture's fights, to no fault of his own. But whether you want to go to, to his championship fights, I should say, that's why this was important. You know, you look at the Vitor Belfort loss, where he lost due to a, a, a freak eye slit at UFC 46 or 47, the same night uh, Penn beat Hughes, and he has that eye slit on his eye. And, uh, you know, it happened in, like, the first exchange. You know, it was like a 13 seconds kind of a thing, and, and, and the doctor stops it. You know, nothing happened. Um, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, in his heavyweight fights, he lost to Josh Bartnett, right, the youngest UFC heavyweight champion, but that fight got overturned to steroids. And then he fights Pedro Hizzo. I don't know if it was right after, but it was really controversial where Pedro Hizzo, let's be honest, Pedro Hizzo probably won that fight. And Randy Couture still has dents in his legs from the leg kicks to this day. And Randy Couture, you know, and people criticize Randy because, like, ah, uh, you know, you, you, like any 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 fighter who fights his ass off and gets a decision he doesn't deserve, he's going to get a lot of undue criticism. It's not his fault. He's not the judge. He went in there and fought his ass off, you know. And Randy Couture earned it, even though you know you might have said he lost. He certainly earned it. Um, so there was a lot of controversy. So this was important uh, for Randy Couture to have a dominant heavyweight or a dominant just title victory, and he does it in. in what should be the twilight of his career? He's in his. He's well into his mid forties at this point. You know, it was just. It was. It was an amazing one. That's my. That's my pick. That's my number two, Matt. Man, I like it. That's that's going way back there, especially for the heavyweights. And I was. I was kind of like. I was looking through the heavyweight championship history in the UFC, and I'm like, man, it, it was so volatile at the time. But that is that is kind of a special one, man, because you you know taking into account all those things that you said, just coming out, coming back out of nowhere. Going against, as you said, the the dominant Tim Sylvia at the time, which is so funny. It's so funny. So funny to think of as that's an actual phrase that was actually a thing in MMA at one point. But, yeah, that's going way back there, man. I like it, though. I do like it. This is definitely one that that flew under the radar for me. But I like the the points that you brought up, man. It makes it valid for sure. And it is – it's a – it's a very good one. And it, for people that, again, this is definitely, like you said, also a fight pass one. Go back and watch that one. I remember I remember the fight. I do want to rewatch it just to kind of refresh my memory on everything that went that took place. But, man, that's a good one. I like it, Dan Tom. I like it. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I like it. And, and on that note, you're number two. All right. All right. All right. So we'll get into my number two. 
I had I had some trouble with this one again as well. You know, trying to figure out where I wanted to place this one if it was even going to make my list. But again, I went with the bias because I was there. Yes, <laughs> and yes. it holds a special place in my heart. Holds a special place in my heart. Uh, but this is one that really sparked the beginning of a division in in a real fashion. Johanny and Jacek, Carla Esparza, UFC 185, March 14, 2015. There wasn't a lot of, there was like literally, this was the first, you know, 115 title fight. Carla Esparza coming in as a champion, but Johanny and Jacek comes in, still very much a raw MMA fighter, right? She had the striking skills, wrestling wasn't there, jiu-jitsu wasn't there, but hey, let's, you know, we just finished the season of tough, Carla Esparza comes out with the winner, Boom, enter Johanny and Jacek, badass kickboxer coming over. All right, let's see what she can do. And absolutely tools up Carla Esparza. And talking like to where, like, why are they even in the same cage together? Like tooled up, you know what I'm saying? It was just that dominant. And the reason why I put this at number two was not only for how well Johanna dominated that fight, but it really launched the idea of what you like for me, like what I want a champion to do, like you take that success on that night and absolutely run with it and continue to build on it and continue to evolve as a fighter. Cause if you look at where she's at from then to now, she has improved every single time she stepped in the cage, added the wrestling, you know, going over to ATT to get that with Mike Brown and just add all these different elements to her game to keep that title. And then you see her also doing all the extra extra things now. She's on magazine covers now. You know, she's doing all the modeling now. She's making a name for herself to have something to fall back on after she's done fighting. And the dominance that she's shown from that point as well, man. It's just a number of things, not only just on that night, but you, you really saw a star being born. And that's what I saw in front of me that night here in Dallas, Texas. Shout out to the DF dub. So that's another reason it's on there. Like I said, a little bit of bias, but hey, you know, it, it was just one of those moments where we really saw the birth of a star that night. Dude, that was a good card, man. I mean, from from start, you had like Sergio Sergio Pettis getting upset by Ryan Benoit. You had the RDA upset, yes. upset of Anthony. I mean, that was a. I mean, Dallas has always traditionally had great cards. You go back to looking at, you know, uh, Frankie Edgar Gray Maynard two with the uh, Diego Sanchez and uh, uh, Diego Sanchez Gilbert Melendez. It's always had great fights there. And and yeah, when you have the personal story, even more so. And then you know when you have the subsequent <laughs> the subsequent effect, which I'm glad you touched on, where. Even non-believers or people that aren't excited about Joanna or the women's division now take it very seriously and respect what – because how can you not mm-hmm. respect what she's done since? And, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess Holm and, and, and Rousey would be obviously, you know, for, for many reasons, probably the top of the, top of the list or at least top of what would come to your mind, I should say, as far as, you know, female fights when trying to put something on this list. But this was, fight in particular mm-hmm. was something that I – I, I wanted to put on my list because it, it's up there for me, especially when you, you look at the, the, the female theater of MMA. This is really important. And as far as there's no, no washout, by the way, she's always traditionally been underrated, but even more so since, you know, maybe a couple management or picking of fight issues and, 
And, uh, you know, a bad loss, you know, MMA, MMA Twitter, MMA fandom is very unforgiving. But Esparza's shown she's, she's still a competitor and she's still a top five fighter in that division since. It's not like she washed yeah. out by any means. And, yeah, I remember at the time from me, Luke Thomas, whoever, a bunch of us, we were all on Esparza to win that. Like, they were respect. you know, I don't want to lump myself in with Luke or respectable people. But let's just say there was a lot of, you know, people <laughs> with their heads in the game that thought Esparza was going to win that, right? And it's not like mm-hmm. you know, didn't already fight in the UFC at that time. I already get the rave review of Dana White and, you know, a controversial fight with Gedalia. Excuse me. But, uh, but yeah, man, I'm really glad you put that one on, that one on the list. It's definitely deserving. And I think this one, that pick is also going to age better with time because even though Joanna, I have a feeling she may stick to her word and pull out maybe sooner than people would think or would like to see, but she is clearly not done yet. And she's 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 already you know kind of really speaking at her high points now. So I think that that's gonna really be a pick that's gonna grow in time even more so. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Another little side note about UFC one eighty five. That was the first event I ever I covered as credential media. So special all around for me that night. It was. Oh wow, wow. That's a oh, man, that's a great card. Wow, that's awesome. Well. I guess that takes us to the number one. Let, let's 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 get to it. I guess, shall we? This is another personal story. One, this I think it's deserving to be on the list, but I think that it 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 wouldn't make people's list because I think that a lot of people might associate it in a different way. I, I kind of have two personal sides. I have the you know environmental how I grew up personal side how this how this matchup I look at this matchup and then where I actually was at the time watching this matchup and that matchup happened at UFC ninety eight. In fact, it was the headliner. That happened on May 23rd, 2009. That was my uh, stepdad's birthday. We went down to the Green Valley Ranch here. We couldn't get tickets to the fight. It was in Vegas. Uh, that was Rashad Evans defending his title, his freshly earned title by, 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 by Forrest Griffin. He beat Forrest Griffin for it. That was when the light heavyweight went, went through a revolving door process between Jones and Liddell. That was during that kind of revolving door process, if you will. And, yep, that was mm-hmm. Leota Machida versus Rashad Evans. And the reason why it probably is not going to be on people's list is because most people immediately think of that and they think of the Machida era. And that was not just, you know, Joe Rogan's biggest, you know, uh, thing you can make fun of him for, if you will, commentary flubs. I mean, that was the Custer's, <laughs> that was the, the Custer's folly of MMA commentary, right? Welcome to yeah. the Machida. I mean, you had the, you had the perfect, like, cinematic... When before the UFC was even doing their cinematic swing shots, somehow they got like a cinematic swing shot of Machida bowing and kissing the mat after he won. And it couldn't have been more perfect Rogan's delivery at the time. And then Machida yes. you know, goes on the show. But, but that's the negative part of it. I think that's what comes to mind for a lot of people. Here's why it's on the list and it's number one for me. Um, one, because, I mean, Dan Tom coming from, you know, Taekwondo to karate and traditional martial arts being part... You know, uh, being part Japanese, uh, like Machida as well. Seeing a guy, you know, who 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 represented you in many in many different ways, whether uh, stuff that's silly as heritage or the color of your skin or or the the martial arts they chose to employ. All those things kind of tie together. And I'd be lying if if, if it didn't carry weight with a, a young Dan Tom, right? And a young Dan Tom grew up martial arts, asking himself these questions, the same questions that you hear cliche in cliche UFC documentaries or recaps. Well, we wanted to know, so the UFC brought us to what we wanted to know. Who would the boxer face? Like, I really had those conversations. Cliche and as bullshit as it sounds, I was that guy, right? I was in the karate dojos in the 90s, part of that craze. 
uh, competing nationally, regionally. And when I, I would eventually, I would go from Taekwondo and eventually I was like, okay, this is cool. Well, I got my black belt, but this is 90% kicks and what the fuck, you know, there's a lot of people that box and I grew up watching boxing. So I wasn't ignorant to it. I'm like, I want to get more into that. But my, my, my parents let me do boxing. So I did karate. I'm like, oh, Kempo karate opposite 90% hands, 10% kicks. And then I got into high school and I met a bunch of fucking wrestlers. I'm like, what the fuck do I do to that? So, you know, I eventually get into grappling and henceforth it goes. But when I got to mixed martial arts, I said, man, it would be nice to see a guy, even though, you know, I was ignorant to think, you know, karate or taekwondo could be the end all be all. I got to admit, it'd be cool to see a guy that fucking made it work. Because when I started, like anything, same with the NBA, I'm like, I got to go watch the Boston LA series. I got to watch all the classics, right? I wasn't just a Bulls fan. I had to go back and watch the time continuum of the sport I love, which was the NBA. I did the same thing with MMA mm-hmm. when I discovered it. So I went back in time and I watched UFC 1. I'm like, all these karate guys are getting their asses kicked. Like, it's bad. <laughs> like, these guys do the worst. I thought they were going to do the best, right? And so, you know, I quickly was snapped out of that reality. And then along comes this guy named Leota Machida. That God damn it had to stir up the eight-year-old back up in Dan Tom and get me excited again. And it was a very contentious run. He had the John Fitch run, if you will, as far as, you know, you're winning by decision. You know, I think Kamaru Usman is currently a guy struggling with this thing, to put it in terms for people today listening. It wasn't popular, right? He wasn't that popular with the mm-hmm. fans. In fact, he finally got his... his I, uh, actually, it was his second finish because he arm triangled Sokaju, which was pretty impressive at the time. Uh, but he, he he finished Thiago Silva with a really impressive knockout. Like he he, he buzzer beat he is a buzzer beater knockout. He knocked him down, and when the clock went from one to zero in the first round, Machida goes and meets Thiago Silva as he's sitting up like the Undertaker, trying to get back up from the floor. And and and, and Leota Machida just dies with a punch <laughs> and knocks him out in the last second of the fight. Like it's over. And there was some confusion because it was a it was probably the closest thing to a buzzer beater in MMA, in my opinion. Uh, maybe next to you know Raquel Pennington's uh, win over uh, Ashley Evan Smith. Go back and look at that too, bulldog choke. But, but yeah, it was a great buzzer beater. Yeah, they give yeah. him, they give him the title shot, right? And not only does he win for that, but I can't speak for the arena. But again, I was in Vegas where the fight was taking place, and the Station Casino is owned by the Fertitas. They would fucking they would max out on that opportunity, so they would like take a room in their all their Station Casinos around around Vegas and host these fight viewing parties. So Green Valley Ranch was a Station Casino close to. Um, where where I lived and also close to where my stepdad lived. So we met up there. We go in to see the fights. We pay our $20 or whatever. It's not really ideal. You're in a big room with like maybe 100 to 200 people. Uh, not a ton, a ton of people, but but that's, that's, that's a pretty big big thing. But, you know, they have all these spotlights and like a fake cage and a big giant big screen and a bar. So, I mean, they, they make they, – they try to do their best to justify the price and, and to create an environment. <laughs> so it almost did actually feel like we were at the fights because, again, 100 to, to, to 150 people is enough to create that audience feel, right? You can you kind of yeah, – enough to yeah. kind of see who's who, 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 who's rooting for who, right? Like when, when – back to Holm Rousey. When, when Holm did that, everybody who was cheering for Rousey in the beginning just stayed seated and all the degenerate gamblers like me were like, yay! Our tickets cashed. <laughs> you know, like, like so – I mean when you get into these – because I, I saw Holm Rousey in a, similar, in a similar environment is what I'm trying to say. So when you get into these environments it is kind of cool for that effect right it makes you feel like you're, you're yeah. in an audience so we essentially have the sitting champion who's an american who you know a good looking athletic guy with an impressive highlight reel that is rashad evans right um again like the prototype not only do i associate with the karate guy you know 
um, you know, the athlete, the, the, you know, uh, the more powerful guy, the more popular guy, the this and that. There was a lot of dynamics at play here. Of, of, it was clear who the good guy and who the bad guy was. And, of course, as Dan Tom is, I, I sympathize with the quote-unquote bad guy. And, um, and, uh, and it was nothing against Rashad either. It was just, you know, I, just, I was following Machida's rise, and you could just feel like, okay, I get it. Like, Rashad is the good guy in this. He should be. He's the sitting champion. He's the American. We're in America. This fight's in Vegas. And everybody in this place, Matt, was rooting for Rashad the whole time. Right, and it was kind of an even wow. fight the first round. Like Machida had his moments where he would blitz and do his counter left, and, and Rashad would play mm-hmm. it off because Rashad had such a great Rashad's confidence. By the way, like I, I know I picked against Rashad recently. That's because like go back and watch this fight and watch his fights before that. You'll see why Rashad. People called it cocky and stuff, and I think they were too harsh on Rashad personally. But you look at his confidence, his swag, man. Rashad had swagger. He had swagger yeah. in his prime. That's that's why I, I, I'm a, I was a fan of Rashad. It's just I'm a little more hard on Rashad now because it's, I have a tough time seeing this version of him compete. And and, the, and and I think if you go back and watch these fights, it'll justify. It. But neither here nor there. Everybody was on Rashad's side. But by the second round, Machida had these moments like he knocked down Rashad in the beginning of the second even, and it was crazy. I've never seen it before since Matt. But the crowd started turning. The crowd went from shouting Evans to Machida. And I don't know if it was doing that in the audience of Vegas. I think (laughs) Rogan might actually made a comment to it because I think there was a sway in the momentum at that audience there just a couple miles away from where I was watching the fight in Las Vegas. And the American audience swayed and started rooting for a Brazilian champion. That's like going to Brazil and them going from Vumahe to Vumahe to We Love You. Like it made no fucking sense. Like, I was the only, I was being quiet. Like, I was like, it was the beginning of the fight. I would like cheer when Machida would get something, but then I would quickly reserve it. You know, I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to start out trouble here because I was clearly the minority in more ways than one. And didn't matter. By the end of the fight, before even Machida hit, starts hitting, uh, starts getting Rashad out of there, people were cheering for Machida. And then he wins. And again, back to the perfect cinematic thing. Welcome to the Machida era. He was undefeated. He had an average of getting hit. times around. You couldn't even find, even if you went to boxing and the guys like Floyd Mayweather, you couldn't find anybody that matched that stat. It was actually published in the Review Journal, his stat of avoiding damage. I mean, this was a special fucking guy at this point in time. That was a special moment. And maybe because where I was and not seeing a crowd sway like that, it earns a spot on my number one. Man, that's a solid, solid pick, man. Not only the finish, the finish was spectacular too. It gave us... He gives gifts and memes for days, <laughs> even since, even now. You know, it's you know, like you like you were saying, you know, with Machida coming in, you know, with his style, it's kind of like to make a comparison, I guess, at least in before his title fights, it was similar to kind of like what Stephen Thompson was doing. You know, Stephen Thompson came in using a completely different th- style and just like actually, you know, just. Being like, wow, like, I can't believe it actually works so well, you know, but it was kind of like that same sort of thing, at least for me in my eyes, you know, to kind of find a, a close comparison. But I remember cheering for Machida going into this fight, even though I loved Rashad Evans, I just loved the different style that he brought to the cage at the time. And I was like, I want to see it work. I want to see him get it done. And then it was like, once he actually knocked him out, I was kind of like, oh, I was kind of confused. I, I wasn't confused, but I was kind of conflicted. I was kind of conflicted because I liked Rashad so much, and I didn't want to see him go out that way in particular. But 
I did want to see Lyoto win. So I was really torn. And I remember I was just like, man, it's it's it actually happens. And I feel bad, but I'm happy at the same time. And Lyoto was just such a nice dude, the way he carried himself. Still is to this day. I'm, yeah. I'm talking like he's changed since then. <laughs> you know, but just just his whole buildup, his whole his whole character, man. I loved it. I loved it. it. It was a damn, damn good memory for the light heavyweight division. I will say that. Yep, yep, hundred percent. That, that's cool to hear too. Yeah, there's so many fights where I'm like that too, where I'm like, uh, I don't, I'm so torn. I feel like that happens more yeah. often than not now. <laughs> Maybe in our positions, working immediate makes sense, I guess. But you know, that's probably how we should feel. We should be right down the middle, <laughs> even even yes, with those emotions. Exactly. <laughs> Ride the fence hard from straight forward, like from here on out. <laughs> well, well, you can't ride the fence. What we on, have to do. You can't ride the fence on the next one, though, Matt. It's your number one. You can't be riding. I, I know you gotta, you gotta have some feelings about this one. I imagine, right? I do. I have some feelings about this one. Um, this is not one I was present for, so the personal bias with that is out the window for All this right. one. But the reason this is number one for me is because. My favorite fighter of all time. Went in there and did some spectacular things with the tie clinch. And I'm talking, of course, Anderson Silva knocking off Rich Franklin, UFC 64, October 14, 2006. And it sparked a run of 10 title defenses, which, of course, is soon to be broken by our our man, Demetrius Johnson here. I mean, possibly broken. I'm saying, you know, it's tied, potentially broken, right? Um, against Ray Borg coming up. But the way Anderson Silva went in there against Rich Franklin, and Rich Franklin was every bit like the guy, the face that ran the place at the time, it seems. You know, the, the school teacher going in, or, you know, going in, he fights, he's a badass, he's got the, the brown and pink shorts, everybody loved it. You know, Rich Franklin looks like Jim Carrey, he's such a nice guy. Yada yada goes in there and beats the hell out of people, and then Anderson Silva comes in and just tools him up again. Like the tie clinch was the was the biggest takeaway for me because I remember at the time I was still very much like getting into MMA. Like I watched like back then I watched MMA, but I wasn't nearly as into it obviously as I am now, right? And the thing that stuck with me was seeing that tie clinch. I was like I was intrigued by that. I was intrigued by the tie clinch and just. Yanking down on the on the neck and throwing the knee, driving the knee into the chest, driving the knee into the chin. It was just like I was like, wow, that is such a devastating technique. And we haven't really seen anybody use it that effectively since. And I mean, you know, credit to guys learning how to get out of it for one. But just how devastating it was at the, in that moment, especially in that fight. I was like, man, I was intrigued by that so much. And again, Anderson Silva, obviously, everyone still considers him the, the greatest of all time. It was. It just sparked that run. Sparked that run. It was just literally the beginning of an era. You know, the the great Anderson, the Spider Silva, went in there against Rich Franklin, and again, you know, he had to prove, you know, in that in that second fight, hey, I wasn't playing with Rich. You know, go running back at UFC 77, and you can see it, it wasn't a fluke. You know, I I really have the skills to do this, and then it just went on from there. You know, you can run down the names. However you want to judge Anderson at this point in his career, that's neither here nor there. You know, PP pills, whatever you want to say, <laughs> you know, tainted legacy, yada, yada, whatever. At the time, Anderson Silva 
Anderson Silva was literally Neo in the Matrix, man. He went in there and just he just was on a whole nother planet when it comes when it came to his opponents, man. Just the fact that what it, like what he did to Damian Maya at UFC 112, it was just so disrespectful. <laughs> it's so incredible that he could do that at the same time. But yeah, man, my number one goes to Anderson Silva just because of the way I remember that fight happening, and I remember just being like, wow, like that guy is, he's really just that far above it, his competition right now. And of course, everything that came after it. Man, I'm so glad you had this, not just on your list, on your number one. And I'm glad that we're not ending the episode on this, but we're ending the list on this one because this one's a special one to me. And you know, I told myself I was going to slap my head before the thing, this thing's over, and you made me slap my head. And now you're thinking, Dan, how did you forget about Anderson Silva beating Rich Franklin? It's not that I forgot about it. It's that the date that you said, 2006. Mm-hmm. I keep hanging my head on 2007, but I didn't realize mm-hmm. that that happened in 2006, Matt, because don't get me wrong. Uh, the pick I'm comparing it to is Couture versus Sylvia as far as I always kind of credit that one to one of my – first you know cards where i knew what was going on and getting me into it but i might have to take that part of it back of course it, it still deserves to be on my list i love randy gator the underdog theme alone makes it deserve a, a piece on my list but what i'm saying is that the fight to credit as far as me being the first fight card i remember where i was actually starting to pay attention to mma might have been that one mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. because i remember it so vividly a and that card but more so after that it, it Again, I, I wasn't a, a hardcore because I wasn't like, you know, tuning in MMA Weekly, Junkie, and UFC.com every day to see what was coming up. But I, I was watching all the cards. <laughs> right. I was more like, oh, there's a UFC card this weekend. Yeah, let's watch it. Because let's not forget, guys, it wasn't every week. It was only like every month or so. Back exactly. Then. Exactly. It was, it was much more special at the time. Oh, yeah. Much more special. And the great and, – and, and what was special to me was I wasn't even familiar with Anderson Silva from – his brief experiences in Pride or obviously even Cage Rage. And I went back to watch those when I when I did. But the first time I saw Anderson Silva was, yes, against Rich Franklin. I missed his debut against Lieben. And I believe right after that, they just gave him the title shot with 100% accuracy over like 30 strikes thrown. You know, ice in Lieben, which was insane. An insane stat yes. or something. I forget what the exact number is, but yes. look it up. It's really worth it. It's uh, But, but you know, he goes to fight Rich Franklin. And I really like the note you said about the tie clinch because that's so true. You haven't seen it, you know, spoken with effectiveness like it was back then. But that imprinted in my head so hard not the tie clinch but anderson silva to where when i saw him fight marquardt luder franklin for the rematch mm-hmm. i remembered that guy sure i remembered him as oh it's the bumblebeam it's the bumblebee sinister guy i may have called him yeah. that for the first few fights <laughs> i'll admit it but but i fucking remember that guy i was like oh someone's about to get fucked up when the guy with the yellow and black bicycle tights comes in the ring with the bumblebees all over oh, it like yes. it was you knew you were in for some as you said matrix shit i mean and as a as a martial artist who you know uh, i was studying muay thai at the time i finally went to taekwondo kempo karate eventually to muay thai and just seeing him, you know, because, again, from Michael Jackson to Bruce Lee, he brought all the inspirations into the ring like uh, Anderson Silva did. And to see that was just something so special. Like, I mean, I remember uh, we were watching the Affliction card, which was a big deal at the time, but UFC tried to counter-program it by having Anderson Silva go fight James Irvin at 205 last minute. And I remember, I don't remember what was on the Affliction uh, fight card at the time because we made damn sure to switch over. We we mainly watched the Affliction card 
because Jay Haran and some other guys we knew were on there from Extreme Couture, but we switched it. We were damn sure to switch it once Anderson Silva was fighting. So that was a great pick, Matt. Great pick. Yeah, man. It, it, that it's just that time in in my MMA fandom at the time. I, it was like it was very it, it was very casual at the time, but it was like okay, I'm not missing the main event. Like I'm gonna make sure I catch the main event or whatever or the co-main event, you know. But it wasn't like I was watching entire cards at the time, and kind of like as you said, <laughs> I didn't have the 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 funny nickname that you had. But it was like anytime Anderson Silva, like because I had seen I had seen him do things, you know. Again, like the the Lehman fight was huge for me because I remember thinking of Chris Lehman at the time as the guy who you can't knock out, like you yeah. can't crack Chris Lehman, and he went in there and just. Man, like you said, like laser shots, like left and right, like all over the place. And it was like, never seen Chris Lehman like this. And Chris Lehman was one of the few guys that I made sure I tried to watch too. But it was still very much like a casual fandom for me. And Anderson Silva, like when he did that to Rich Franklin, I was like, whoa, this is, I'm going to start paying attention a little bit more than just, you know, what I am at the time. And of course it's grown into what it's at now. And uh, I credit not only just that fight, but Anderson Silva's career into, you know, growing my interest in the sport as a whole. So that's why it's number one on my list. Awesome, awesome number one, Matt. And I knew you were an Anderson Silva fan, but what I didn't realize is that we were both Anderson Silva fans for the same reason and were hooked in at the same time. So that was extra cool to discover to this episode, my friend. Yes. Um, I don't have very many honorable mentions. You can get yours ready, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and knock out not too many um, contributions, but I just wanted to give shouts to the people who contributed um, and will comment. Um, Twitter was Twitter was pretty light, but I'll give a shout-out to uh, Joe from H-Town. Joe from H-Town said, The Machida era! So, kind of joking about <laughs> the one I... He's, I love Joe, but yeah, joking about my number one. But no, 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 it's all fun. But uh, he did say seriously, he he actually liked the Edgar versus BJ Penn. And before you, you, you weigh in on that, I will say Edgar versus BJ Penn would deserve a spot on anyone's list just due to importance because of who BJ Penn was and what that did for Frankie Edgar's career. But for me, and I'm not mm-hmm. even... Put it, put aside. Y'all know I'm a BJ Penn fan, and I, I left I left out Hugh, BJ Penn over Hughes for a reason because I banned myself from putting BJ Penn on any of my lists because he's already made too many of them. <laughs> so if I put a ban on myself, but uh, but we'll put the BJ Penn bias aside. It was kind of depressing for me because forget about BJ Penn being my favorite fighter. My favorite division is a lightweight division, and I feel you can even leave BJ Penn out of that and make a lot of valid arguments as far as that's where power, speed, athleticism, and technique kind of are at that sweet spot. You know, you, you've got that sweet spot. Yes. And welterweight also has that. Welterweight has long been known through boxing and mixed martial arts as the prestige division for martial arts because that, that that's another perceived sweet spot. And I have no no qualms against that here. But I, for what it's worth, I try not to be red team versus blue team. But I would be lying to you if I have not been a long, lightweight guy. And I feel that the numbers of their roster to the top tens consistently over the years have, have, have only proven me right over the years that it's the most competitive division. Um yeah. And also because as somebody who, who competed in that, that region, whether it was grappling, MMA, uh, boxing, or kickboxing, 
that was the division I had to look at, and I hated it for that reason. I'm like, couldn't like I would. I was talking about this on the radio the other day. I'm like, I would go to tough enough shows and be like, you know, I know we're talking about me fighting at lightweight or featherweight, but dude, these middleweights look slow as fuck, man. Like, I was like, can I can I get in with the because the, the especially the amateur level, by the way, like amateur level heavyweight is it is it, not heavyweight. It's it, it's actually barroom brawler. But they can't write that for the division. Mm-hmm. And middleweight is not middleweight. It's actually unathletic fuck. That's actually what the real right. division is. So, especially in 2009 and 2008 when Dan Tom was was that was even in the conversation. But uh, but yeah, um, but but yeah, no no. Lightweight has what uh, back on track. Stay on target. Lightweight is one of my, <laughs> one of my one of my favorite divisions. And BJ Penn, the reason why I still think he's one of the greatest lightweight of all time because you look at even though his run wasn't as long as it could have been. For contract disputes, him not staying focused, jumping weight classes, all the above that make us both love and hate being a BJ Penn fan. Um, he was going out there and doing – even people it's, – it's so popular, especially in, in BJ Penn didn't help himself for God's sakes. But it's so popular to shit on him. But really when you think about it, he did everything a champion want, you want a champion to do. Take anybody, anytime, all the politics that we're all complaining about now, you never have to deal with that with BJ Penn. And he was still pursuing all the boxing matches and multi-weight fa- matches that McGregor and whoever else you want to name was pursuing. But you never had to deal with that mm-hmm. drama, at least from his end, because he wasn't you know, even about the money so much. He just wanted to fucking fight. And he was finishing guys. And the thing that bums me out is, and I'm a, I'm a Frankie Edgar fan, by the way, but what was upsetting was, aside from the Frankie Edgar Grey Maynard 2, where he got to the finish, Frankie Edgar beating BJ Penn sparked a run of just... A bum, a bummer in the lightweight division. I mean, we had controversial decisions, draws, split. The, and by the way, and this is nothing against Frankie Edgar, who I actually thought won. You could make arguments from both fights, but I thought he won even the first fight against Benson Henderson. I feel that that broken nose, the judges were counting that against him for the rounds to come after he sustained that broken nose from the up kick, right? I feel, I feel like that yeah. up kick cut, cost Frankie the fight because he was winning the fight otherwise. But, um,. But yeah, you had all these, these just decisions, and Benson Henderson, and he has his slew of decisions. And you know, Pettis versus mm-hmm. Benson Henderson actually almost made the list for this reason because I was just like, finally, we have a guy that's going to be fucking yeah. finishes again. <laughs> we got finished. Like I was really excited for Anthony Pettis when he when he first won. Little did we know we'd have injuries and inconsistencies follow his career. Um, at least thus far, exactly. he's still young. I'm not shitting on Anthony there, but I'm just just calling history for what it what it showed. And I, don't, I never felt like the lightweight division had that king, you know? You know what I'm saying? Like, Matt Hughes was the king, and it was no question that GSP was the new king. You know what I'm saying? Like, there were, the, yes. each division has its own thing. I don't think lightweight, which is a shame because, again, I just made the argument for why it's such a prestigious, uh, impressive division. We never had that king. You know what I'm saying? But anyways, that's, right. just, that's just my two cents on that. Do you have any opinion on the lightweight division's uh, title run there? No, I, I agree with everything you just said there, especially in that stretch of the championship history. It was like, I mean, I think that kind of speaks to how competitive the division was. I mean, yeah. there wasn't anybody that was clearly that much better than someone at that time. It was just like everybody was pretty much at the same level, and they all just happened to clash at the same time. And like you yeah. said, you got those decisions. You got those questionable moments and, and things like that. And, you know, it, it is one of those kind of kind of sore spots, so to speak, on on – you know, in the, in the history of the championship. But I do like, you know, just to go back to how we even got on this <laughs> with uh, Joe from H-Town bringing up this, uh, bringing up the Frank Yeager versus uh, BJ Penn. That, that was one of my uh, honorable mentions um, just because of 
the the event itself. You know, the first one um, in an open air arena over there in Abu Dhabi. Oh yeah. Um, they had it at the um, what is it, the uh, Ferrari uh, theme park, and they made a they made a special venue just for the UFC, and ended up tearing it down right after. You know, it was kind of like a one-time thing that they put out there. And it was pretty cool, like, just to see all that happen. And then, of course, Frank Yeager going out there doing his thing, kind of starting the whole, oh, he's champion of 155 and he doesn't cut weight the type thing, you know. That was, like, a whole other angle there, too. So pretty cool fight for me. Um, but, again, like, it did kind of spark that that run where it was like, ah, dude, these kind of these fights kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, and yeah, and you, and by the way, thank you, Joe from H Town. Not disagreeing, like I said, it, just the fact that it sparked this conversation justifies why why that fight would deserve to be on a list. But you mentioned UFC one twelve, and I don't want to linger it anymore. But that was a weird card because you look at it. Matt Hughes was on his resurgence where he put like three or four wins together. He he beat Henzo that night, but would lose and, and go on a losing run and retire afterwards. Anderson had some suspect performances against maybe arguably Cote and definitely maybe Latez, but. Yeah. You know, you would see him kind of go on a downtrend. Like, he's only, impre- you know, he had the Vitor fight was maybe the one impressive fight after that where you could really hang your hat on. Other than that, it was this weird point of contention where you had him and the UFC going at each other, right? The, the, just the, the narrative kind of changed there, behind the scenes even, too. And then, of course, BJ went on his <laughs> downtrend. So it was just, it's this weird night. Like, if you're doing, like, some type of documentary or some kind of, like, 30 for 30, like, that would be a good one, UFC 112. I like three legends in their own right. You know, Matt Hughes, Anderson Silva, BJ Penn, and their own departments. It's legends in their own right. After that night, they were all fucking different. Notably, they, they yeah. all hit notably different marks in their career. I always think of that card that way. Yeah, and it definitely would have ended on a better note, because that was supposed to be uh, Anderson versus Vitor that night, and then Vitor yes. got hurt, and yes. then entered, entered Damian Maya into the fight we talked about earlier <laughs> already. But, you know, that that was like... That was like the moment where Dana White flipped his shit. He was like, oh, my God, I hate Anderson Silva. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> walked out. But uh, yeah. so speaking of Anderson Silva, I'm jumping to Facebook here. Back to the uh, back to the listener subscriptions. Thank you all again. Uh, people commented on the Facebook post. They, we had Jason uh, Bookamer. Oh, by the way, go listen to uh, his podcast, Overhand Right Radio, um, which you can get on iTunes. Uh Jason's got Anderson Silva losing to Weidman. We we we, we kind of touched on that one a little bit. That's a great. That's a good. I mean, that's a good yeah. pick. It's, you're right. It's, a, it's historical. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. Shocked the hell out of everybody. Jason. For many reasons. <laughs> yes, yes. And not to harp on it, but hey, Jason also has Edgar over BJ again, justifying Joe from H Town's pick. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Um, two changes. He says two changes where we saw upcoming guys who dethrone longtime champs. Yeah, th- that's those two definitely have that theme shining through. Yeah, yeah, they definitely do. All right, that's a good point. Muna, Muna Bear, my man says Jones over Shogun. This one almost made my list too. Yeah, it's on my honorable mentions. Yeah, it is. yeah it's no, on there. Right. I mean, I mean, how can you not at yes. least have an honorable mention of John Jones's <laughs> title run? But you want to talk yeah. about changing of the guard, right? I mean, not just pride to UFC, but. Young gun who can do it all to young gun who can do it all. I mean, Shogun was the jujitsu and Muay Thai guy, whereas John Jones was just the everything new era guy. You know, I mean, it was yeah. very poetic. The reason I didn't put it on my list was because I don't know anyone that picked Shogun to win that fight. So it was like kind of like one of those. It was like almost a formality of like, hey, right. John Jones was right. leaving the cage with the title this on this night. So that's why I didn't make my list. But it was on my honorable mention because John Jones. 
I mean, had John Jones kept his shit together, you know, the most frustrating thing in MMA history probably for me. Uh, who knows? Who knows where John Jones could have been? Yep. Muna Bear also adds to that. He says, you had the future you had the future beat a legend from Pride and finally stabilize the light heavyweight division. And he says, also, Silva over Franklin, so he sides with you. Muna Bear's with you on your number one there. I nice. imagine he's talking about nice. the first fight. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. That's what changed I, yeah, over. Maybe. Yeah. All yeah, right. yeah. My man, John John Rico, he also has Shogun over Machida. He has a... A hipster pick, and I'm not saying it in a, in a bad way. I, I give him props for this because during my research, I've had to come across this fight a few times. He has Horatia Tiburcio over Michelle Waterson, which actually was a big upset, odds wise and narrative wise, over okay. at Invicta FC. I don't I don't have the Invicta number, but I've seen that fight a few times. That was a it was actually a fun back and forth fight, but yeah, it was an upset without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, that was that was I actually I, I went through the Invicta history and I was like I didn't find one that really. Stood out to me all that much, but yeah, that was a damn good fight. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. I, I didn't remember that it was that big of an upset until you just mentioned it, though. So yeah, I mean, I think she was. I want to say like plus four hundred or plus five hundred range. I mean, not like nine or nine or a thousand, but uh, you know, pretty up there for. It's hard for a lot of the odds makers to have that hard of opinions on fights uh, uh, for the female right. developing female divisions. We'll just say, but John John Rico also has Bisping over Rockhold. That's a great one. That's a <laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> For many reasons, I guess, depending on your perspective. Or if you just, like me, mm-hmm. you love chaos, then that's got to be on your top five if you just love chaos. But <laughs> Yeah, that, that one probably would – I thought about putting that one, you know, at least on the honorable mentions. But it was just like I took away more from the post-fight conference than I did the actual <laughs> knocking out of Luke Rockhold. But, yeah, that was definitely, that was definitely a moment. Definitely a moment in time to be remembered. Yep. Well, John John Rico's with you on TJ over Burrell. A great pick there. Nice. And this is great. This is the first nice. time, by the way, for what it's worth, this is actually genuinely the first time I read these, usually when I read them on the show. So I'm really proud of my man, John John Rico, for rounding out his list with my same number five, Brown over Faber. <laughs> nice. Nice. I like it. Shout out, shout out to I John like John it. for that one. All right. And the last one from Facebook. Good list there, John John. Yep, yep. Uh, last contribution overall, which comes from uh, Wanley Tran. He's with me on Randy Couture versus Tim Sylvia. He has that as number one, one off from where I had it, Wanley. I, I think we're from the same era. We're cut from the same cloth, my friend. Um, number two, Benson Henderson over Frankie Edgar, showing that the WEC guys can hang with. I like that he added that because, yeah, you're right. Even though yeah, we kind of yeah. talked about it, you know, even though I said that I might decide with Frankie, that is true because he was the first guy to answer that question, can the WEC guys hang? with the UFC guys. That's very true. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that angle. That's yeah, and, very good. And he hung on to the title to his credit in the rematch and subsequent fights after that. Uh, so credit to Benson Henderson there. Good good pick. Um, Ronda Rousey over Misha Tate. I This one almost made my list too. Oh, this was probably the closest of all the female fights because I wanted something from Strikeforce. And I remember this fight because mm-hmm. I was so t- – I was, I was a, a, I was a fan of Misha Tate, but I was also a fan of Ronda Rousey because she kind of came through a similar lineage as far as, like, she came up through High Stand with all the Armenians and, and the, even the Russian influence from Gokor Trevichian, um out there in Glendale. And my catch wrestling coach, Neil Melanson, is one is the only black belt, actually, under Carl Parisian. And he came up under High Stand, under that Jane LaBelle and the same. So kind of through a family lineage, I felt obligated to root for Rousey, but... I kind of felt bad for the way Tate lost because it was this brutal armbar. 
And then I'm you, you all know if you listen to me here, I, I I'm a fan of sportsmanship and honor, and you shouldn't judge people and condemn them whether they show it or don't show it. Uh, but I remember being a little sour and feeling extra bad for Misha Tate after that fight. But it was a really important fight in the spectrum. What do you think of that one, Matt? No, it really was. It really was. It was a damn. I mean, you think about you know the history of not only just the bantamweight division, but you know women's MMA period. Like that was an important fight, and it, you know it sparked that whole rivalry between the two that that went on for years and years and still lives on to this day in in some respect. But definitely an important fight, man. I, I did forget about that one too. You know, when it comes to making the list and the, the honorable mentions, but that, that's a solid pick for sure. 100%, 100%. And uh, his number four is Rampage over Chuck Liddell. That's another iconic one. Yeah. I mean, he already beat him. Rampage already beat him, obviously, but still, I mean, he did it in the UFC in, in front of the UFC audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different stage. You know, you got to prove you can do it over here type things, too. So, yeah, I like it. I like that one. And rounding out the list, which knocks out one of my honorable mentions, is uh, – GSP over Matt Hughes. I mean, how do you not, how, for history's sake, how do you how do you not uh, agree with that one? That's a, that's a good pick there, for sure. It is a good pick. I, I, I went with another GSP win on my uh, on my honorable mentions, but that's a good one. That's a good one. It's one I contemplated. Well, that's the last of uh, that's the last of the listener contributions. So before we get out of here, it's our honorable mentions. So why don't you share what what your GSP one was? My GSP one, I mean, it's uh, it, it was the GSP defeating Matt Serra at 83 nice. because that sparked the real run. That sparked the real run for GSP. And it was kind of like that moment where, nah, bruh, you got me the first time, but I'm going to show you what's really happening this time. You know what I'm saying? It was kind of like, okay, you got lucky, and I'm really just that much better than you, so here's what's about to go down. You're gonna take this ass whooping, <laughs> dude. That was the height. So, of, oh man, that's awesome. That was the height of Dan Tom fandom because I was like, GSP's gonna get his title back at 83. BJ Penn's gonna defend against Shirk at 84. You know, it was just a crazy time in MMA, yeah. and you had all these crazy, uh, you know, crazy cards. That was awesome, man. Um, one of my, I only have really two two to mention, but uh, Aldo versus Holloway. We kind of we kind of alluded to. I, I left it off because it was pretty recent. But I think that one mm-hmm. in time is going to grow. And especially when you just think about, again, going into somebody's, you know, like you said, Matt, a king going into another king's village. Uh, or I should say, as Max said, <laughs> you know, uh, <Yeah. laughs> that, that one I at least deserve the honorable mention for me. Yeah. Uh, my only other honorable mention I have here on the list is uh, Tyron Woodley becoming a champion, knocking out who everybody thought was the boogeyman at the time in Robbie Lawler, who – was I mean everybody was scared of Robbie Lawler, especially after 189, yeah. and especially after 195. It was just like man, Robbie Lawler is about to just hold on to this belt forever, and then Tyron enter Tyron Woodley and just knocked him out out of nowhere. And then of course you know he's still in his run at the time, or currently at in his run, but um, that was on my list just yeah. because of the shock factor. I think at the time of going out there and just kind of because Robbie he. He was building that aura of, of invincibility, so to speak. But, yeah. You know, yeah. he was just just these wars. You know, I was expecting it to be a war with Woodley again, and I was like, man, this potential fight of the year for me. And then, wow, Woodley just ended it. I you know, so yeah, I remember that, man. That was shocking because you were like, if anybody, you know, you're hoping for a good fight, like any fight going into a title fight, but you're like, okay, if anybody's going to be in trouble in the intangibles. It's got to be Woodley, right? I mean, he he hasn't fought in how long? 
His last fight was a split decision win over a, a Gaslam, which wasn't you know that impressive. Some people even scored it the other way. You're like, how is he going to look? And instead, it's the complete opposite. He goes out there and just has an easy night of work against one of the most devastating yeah. punchers. Yeah. And you're just like, what? What just happened? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. As exactly. far as, as far as like the shock <laughs> ones that should be on the list, that one's definitely up there, man. Um, I was going to mention my other honorable 100%. mention, which was, but but I, we already kind of talked about it, which was uh, Benson versus versus Pettis. And or when Pettis beat Benson, I should say in the UFC, not the WC one. Although the WC one is another title change over there as well. Uh, <laughs> Pettis yeah. has on Benson that that yeah. was the Showtime kick. You know that that alone can give it some credence. But yeah, man, that was my honorable mention. Yeah, I, that fight that fight was weird for me in particular because of I remember um, Benson instantly popping up and like again like getting back in his fight stance like he was ready to go again. I'm like. Yeah. It's it's over, bro. It's over. Like you just tapped. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know. So yeah, that, that was a weird moment. That was weird. Yeah, that, that, that sticks out in my memory. But the poss- yeah. the, the possibilities after that though, because another another side note to that. Remember remember a fight that was booked. Maybe it was actually before it, but or after. But the, the possibility, regardless, was still open. But you had that whole. Anthony Pettis versus Jose Aldo narrative where they booked it and this and that. Oh, yeah, because he kept pushing for it. Yeah. Uh, Pettis was pushing for it hard. I remember he called him out. He was like, hey, let's do this thing, you know. And they, it was at the time, it was just like going to be at this big super fight. And the UFC was just shut, shut, shutting it down, shutting it down, shutting it down. And then, you know. That's right. TJ Grant. McGregor comes through. TJ Grant was actually supposed to fight Benson Henderson for the title that night, and he couldn't fight because of what was later revealed as concussion issues, and he never sadly returned since. Anthony Pettis steps in, hits the armbar, and uh, mm-hmm. regardless of what happens with Anthony Pettis' career now, he's a champion, and he's in the history books, and that, that ain't going to change. So Can't wow. take away that Wheaties box. Yep, you can't take away the Wheaties box. <laughs> man, this was fun, Matt. This was fun. I think we covered, we covered more than I even thought, but we covered a lot. And, and it was it was a good it, it was a good time uh, unpacking this list here, man. Thank you. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you inviting me on. Um, this was definitely fun doing a little bit of research, going back to the memory banks and whatnot. And I appreciate it, man. I'm glad I'm glad we got to discuss this list on uh, on my visit here on your on your show. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. I, I'm looking at the time and it flew, especially the last half hour. Felt like you. I wasn't. I wasn't supposed to keep yeah. it this long. Not, not. Not that I wasn't supposed to, but I didn't mean to. So, so we're gonna go ahead and get out of here. But before we do, uh, you want to plug anything you got going? Plug your shows. Plug what you got going on. Where they can find you. Where they can find your podcast. Sure, sure, sure. So Twitter at Mr. M Wells Art on Twitter. Um, I am on Facebook as well. I have my Facebook journalist page there. Um, currently, I'm contributing to Fan Sided. Um, Formerly MMA Latest News, a little bit of stuff over at Flow Combat as well. Um, but, yeah, my biggest thing right now going is the stuff at Fansided and, of course, my podcast with Kendrick Johnson, uh, Slip and Dip Podcast, which we try to get, you know, someone in the MMA or boxing space on every episode. Um, I believe we have uh, Trevor Whitman in the chamber for our next episode, so I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, we usually record on Tuesdays. They come out on Wednesdays. So um, if you're out there, check us out and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear it. Awesome, hundred percent. And yeah, guys, not only do I want I want my listeners to, to to go give a a subscribe, a download, and a listen to the Slip and Dip podcast, but if they like what they hear, make sure you take the couple minutes and do one of those iTunes reviews. I know you guys are probably in other places besides iTunes, but I know for iTunes in particular, it helps the algorithm. In fact, 
since the last episode, some of y'all gave me some love, which I appreciate. I'll probably save it. We're running late, so I'll probably save the, uh, any additional reviews or shout-outs for the next episode. But, again, these things really help, so please go give that a listen. Um, as you know, you can find find me at the normal place, at Don, Dan Tom MMA, uh, Junkie Radio, five days a week. You can tune, tune in, bother me there. Uh, thank you for supporting here, which is hosted by MixedMarshallAnalyst.com, where you can find the Amazon and Onyx click-throughs. Thank you all for using those. I'm not going to bore you with those shout-outs. Pie, save it for the next one. But just just seriously wanted to thank you all, and thanks, Matt, for, for coming on. I appreciate it, man. Again, thanks for inviting me. All your loyal listeners, I hope they enjoyed this episode because I know I did. So, <laughs> Yeah, dude, it was really fun, man. Well, uh, on that note, let's get the F out of here. Whether you're traveling through time machines like Rick and Morty but doing it in the MMA version or you're placing your bets for UFC 216, just be safe and always protect your neck.